I remember waking up and overnight I jumped 20,000 followers and I was like, what just happened? You know, so I wasn't really mentally prepared. So it really took a toll on me for a while as my audience was growing because I had a lot of people coming at me and telling me I was just a wannabe filmmaker, that I was just a model. I didn't know anything about films. So it used to get to me really badly and I felt the need to really prove myself for a hot minute. And then the no Fs given came about right before the pandemic. I was like, why am I sitting here trying to prove myself to people that I don't know? I know my worth. I know that I'm a filmmaker. I've been doing this and working my butt off to get to where I'm at. I have nothing to prove. So when that happened, all the social media chatter of people just coming at me just sort of vanished in a way. And I found a wonderful community. You know, I met you guys and so many awesome people. Hey guys, I'm Arie. And I'm Christina. And we are your hosts at the Film Up Podcast, where we explore the stories of accomplished filmmakers and creatives and their road to success. Each podcast is dedicated to a nonprofit of our guest choosing. The goal here is for the Film Up Podcast to help filmmakers and help the world at the same time. And we believe you can do both. And today we are thrilled to be joined by Emily Skye. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know Emily, she is an award-winning director and cinematographer. She shot her debut feature, River, in September of 2020 during the pandemic, which now has won over 15 awards, which is incredible. Congratulations. And Emily is a mentor coaching women and men in film and created a tribe called She Film Tribe on Instagram, which is a safe place for women to come together and encourage and talk to one another. Women from all over over the world have joined the sisterhood as well as her filmmaking one-on-one -on -one courses. Emily also has a huge love for horses, so she is dedicating this podcast episode to Colby's Rescue Crew, a nonprofit that focuses on rescuing horses from slaughter kill pens, auctions, and other bad situations. So to get involved, you can go to colbyscrewrescue.org. We will also list all the information in the description of this episode. Emily, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, it is so awesome to talk to you, especially on the record, because we've had a few calls off the record. And every time we talk, it feels like a podcast episode because we always just go into so much. Um, and you're doing so many awesome things now that we want to talk about. But before that, uh, we kind of wanted to focus on the beginnings of your career and what got you into filmmaking. How did you realize this was a, a passion for yourself and what kept you sticking with it? Oh, man. Well, when I was six years old, I watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind and I fell in love with aliens. And uh, my mom was like, okay, you know, like I started <laughs> recreating so many weird things. And my parents were super supportive of that. And I stole my camera, my parents' camcorder, and recorded over a lot of home movies, unfortunately. And uh, my mom <laughs> still talks about that. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, I got my brothers to, to dress up, my friends, my cousins, everything. I didn't know what it meant to be a filmmaker, you know, until I was about 18 years old when I started working with Michael Mann on Miami Vice. Um, I was modeling at the time. I was also acting. And I was kind of using that to get into the industry because 
there was no social media when I was going through middle school and high school. Like I had no mentors, no one to talk to. There was no way to kind of learn about this just creative force that I had within me that I kept wanting to explore and to do. No one was telling me. I had, I had nothing, you know? So uh, I got scouted by Wilhelmina. And I decided, all right, why the hell not? I'll, I guess I'll do this, you know? And um, I was so, I was way more interested in behind the scenes, even when I was on set doing photo shoots. I was like, oh, why are you lighting it like this? You know, I would put it over here, you know? And so, like, I was constantly talking to the photographers and asking questions. And and it wasn't until I was working on Miami Vice that I saw that this could be a career. You know, it wasn't just a hobby anymore. You know, I could be a film director. I was watching Michael Mann command 800 extras and Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx. And they were just like, just, it was magic. It was, that was it for me. I was like, I fell in love. I was already in love, but that was my turning point of knowing that I could do this as like a career, that it wasn't something, you know, that I kind of was dreaming about, you know, I didn't see any other women, you know, obviously there was no one I could really look up to. Again, there was no social media. So I then left his set when I finished filming and I raised like $10,000. I bought a Canon XL2, which at that point was a beast of a camera. You know, it was like what everyone wanted at that point, you know, we didn't have iPhones, you know, so we couldn't like go and film something on an iPhone, you know, there was no apps. So I got the XL2. I created my first short film that turned out to be almost 15 minutes long. So it wasn't really that short. It's a piece of crap and I'll never have anybody watch it. But the fact is, I did it. You know, like I raised the money. I got the actors. I wrote a script. I got a team together and I made it happen. And I knew from that point on that I was just continuously going to push myself. So I started working as a uh, music video director, and I also shot music videos. And that's why um, cinematography and directing really kind of went hand in hand with me. For the longest time, I used to call myself, I was like, no, I'm just a camera operator. I'm not a DP. But when I, because I was too, like, embarrassed to say I did both because people made such a thing about being both that you Mm -hmm. couldn't be both. So I was like tired of hearing people say, oh, then you, you know, you can't do both. You know, it's, it's blah, 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 blah. So then I was like, oh yeah, I just camera operate because people were more accepting of that than accepting of me being a DOP and a director. Uh So, well, I totally just ripped that bandaid off, you know, two years ago when I was like, (laughs) the hell what everyone thinks, you know, I'm going to, DP my feature film, you know, I was DPing um, and directing my short films already. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do my feature and everyone, I'm the producer that I was working with, who I no longer am working with. She constantly would tell me, I think you should have a mentor on set that can guide you through this. I'm like, I freaking hired you. I got the money. <laughs> I got all of this going on. And you're still sitting here saying, I need a, a guy mentor on my set telling me how to do my job, which I already know how to do because I've been doing this for 15 years at this point. I was like, mm, no. Did, did she specify a guy mentor? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. I was like sitting here and I'm like, what? So like that was like, the red flag number one, but somehow it all happened. But um, 
No, it was, you know, I knew at that moment that I love doing both and I just went for it. And uh, I think that's why I go handheld a lot. But I also do, you know, I do dollies and everything. I just showcase handheld more on my social media than I do, you know, when I'm using a dolly or certain things like that. It's just because it was my comfort zone for so long as doing music videos, you know, like Mm -hmm. we were running gunning. We were just up and moving around. Do any of those home videos still exist? The ones that oh, you yeah. re-recorded over mm-hmm. when you were filming your siblings and friends? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. My mom has the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> kind of embarrassing. Uh, so, no. Uh, no, those are, those are the <laughs> best. So That's the best. And um, I really appreciated the point that you said about not caring what people think and persevering regardless of some of the negative comments you might get from people that are oftentimes really just from their own perspectives and experiences and don't usually hold a lot of relevancy to them. But I know that with your personal Instagram, that's a thing that you've had to deal with a bunch because you have tens of thousands of followers now. And you're really um, big on promoting yourself as a filmmaker, but also as a person. And it seems like you tend to run into a bunch of issues around that. What have been some of the biggest issues that you found? And how is it that you've handled them and persevered? You know, At first, because I didn't really take social media seriously, you know, for a really long time. It was about three years ago when I actually decided that it's important. You know, seeing the person behind the camera and behind the project was important. Building your brand is important. Actually, I think it's going to be, it's been four years now, actually. Four, three? I don't know. It's been, it's around there. It's been a hot minute. So, um, yeah, I just I wasn't looking to build an audience. I, it was something that just kind of happened. You know, it started with indie filmmakers, and then learn filmmakers, and then filmmakers world. They all reposted this one image of me holding Cook Anamorphics and a red epic dragon when I was shooting a docu series. And I remember waking up. And I literally just overnight jumped 20,000 followers just overnight. Like I woke up and I was like, what just happened? You know? And so I wasn't really mentally prepared. So it really took a toll on me for a while as my audience was growing because I had a lot of people coming at me and telling me I was just a wannabe filmmaker, that I was just a model. I didn't know anything about films. Like, you know, stop being a camera model. I was like, who would have time to just be a camera model? Like I'm on location, I'm filming something and all you have to tell me is to stop being a camera model. I'm like, all right. So it used to get to me really badly and I felt the need to really prove myself um, for a hot minute. And then the no Fs given came about two and a half years ago, right before the pandemic. I was like, why am I sitting here trying to prove myself to people that I don't know Um, I know my worth. I know that I'm a filmmaker. I've been doing this and working my butt off to get to where I'm at. I have nothing to prove. And then when I did my first feature film as, you know, a director, uh, especially a project that I was working on for quite a while, all those barriers that I had against myself kind of like broke, you know, and I was like, you know what, I can't, I did this, you know, like I've done docu-series, I've done a bunch of award-winning shorts. But to do a feature film, you know, was kind of what I really wanted to do. I wanted to tell the story. And so when that happened, all the social media chatter of people just coming at me just 
sort of vanished in a way because I'm like, you know what? I have nothing to prove to anybody. You know, like it just, it, it broke it down and I found a wonderful community. You know, I met you guys, you know, through it and so many awesome people. So, yeah. And I was, I was going to ask you as a filmmaker, you mentioned the importance of branding and marketing. How do you think that branding and marketing plays into your role as a director and a creator? Have opportunities come to you outside of meeting people like us, but what are the types of opportunities that do come to you? And do you have any particular strategies for filmmakers who are looking to build their online brand on how they can do it in a professional way that actually yields results? Yeah. Branding obviously is super important. Again, it's our resume. You know, when people are looking to work with you, they're going to look at your social media and see what you're about. You know, now I look at social media and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll work with this person. This person looks cool as hell, you know? So it's important. And all my opportunities, the majority of my opportunities have come through social media. You know, um, Red Studios was so gracious to host my premiere of my feature film at Red Studios, which the last one they did was from Inc., which was super cool. So just to be able to build a relationship with Red and to be with a group of people that I really look up to and respect was super fun. Obviously, I got my um, my brand ambassador um, with Lumix Panasonic. They found me on social media. So I get paid to post things that I already post, you know, like things that I, I already love the camera. I've been working with Lumix for years. It was no brainer to like sign on with them because I was already using them. I don't work with brands that I don't use, you know, so I only work with brands that I fully 100% stand behind and use myself because I never want to misguide people into buying equipment that I don't fully support because that's not who I am. And I think people that are looking to build their audience, I think just being authentic, you know, be yourself, um, no matter how weird or quirky it is, just be you. I think people look for people they can connect to. And I tell a lot, I tell everyone that when you're raising capital, people are going to believe in you, you know, they're going to believe in you first before they're going to believe in a project. So they're going to want to know who you are. And it's all about that connection and that relationship. So in order to connect to your audience, you have to be transparent. I like to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, I'm unapologetic for being myself. You know, I post whatever I want, you know, wearing whatever I want. And a lot of people didn't like that for the longest time. And now people are like, oh, we're on board. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're on board now. You know, so I think just be yourself, um, be honest and open. People nowadays, because it's oversaturated with so many different people that audiences are looking for unique voices. And I think as long as you continue to be unique and putting out good content, putting thought into what you're going to put out to, you know, seeing what your audience is kind of looking for so they connect more. Um, I think those are really good ways to kind of to grow and to reach out to. Um, I didn't reach out to the brands. They reached out to me. But if you're already using those brands, promote it. They'll see you if you tag them and stuff, you know. After a while, you know, like that's what Red said to me. They're like, Emily, we couldn't get away from you. All we see is you and Red. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> you know? I was like, that's right, you know. So, yeah, I think I think that's a good starting place, you know. That's awesome. And and outside of social media, I mean, navigating this industry is incredibly challenging, especially as a female. So for me, I would love to know what you found most challenging, whether it be on set or just rising the ranks of the industry and how you navigated it. Yes, it's still challenging. You know, <laughs> I feel like 
there's this wave of, you know, everyone wanting to support women in film and keeping it diversified, but I still feel we're fighting the fight, you know, to still be here. You know, um, I feel like it was a wave of uh, what's cool, what's in, and you kind of see that too. Um, And I think as the years progress, you'll start to see us just get stronger and stronger, you know, because we are now getting certain opportunities, but those opportunities still aren't the same. So we're still fighting for them. It's difficult. What I suggest is just having a solid group of people around you. Like I have some amazing women that I surrounded myself with that I look up to, that we all talk to each other about many things, and I look for guidance. I also have amazing men that are filmmakers that I respect and look up to that guide me as well. And I have a a variety of people that keep me grounded, that I can talk to, and they can understand me. I mean, um, I think filmmaking sometimes could feel very isolated, you know, in the beginning when you're just trying to get a concept off the ground and you're hustling and doing things by yourself, it could feel very discouraging sometimes, you know, and you could feel really alone and feel like a hack. I mean, I feel like a hack half the time anyway, you know, and so I feel when you have a strong group of friends, it doesn't have to be a massive group, just some people that you really trust. We need a community. We need to support one another and help each other out um, along this journey because I guess, you know, well, filmmaking is collaboration and it goes for uh, outside of filmmaking, you still need that kind of environment to keep us thinking about new things and venting. It's important. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's been really interesting for me because I have, you know, Aria with me as a amazing partner. But I remember very early on being on the phone with him and I was like, isn't it interesting that we're co-founders, but we're treated very differently. And at the time he like joked it off in Aria fashion, but A few months later, we were in New York at this fundraising event, and the host of the event was walking us around, and he was introducing Arie as the founder of Film Up. And I was next to him, but there was nothing said about me. And after the event, yeah, after the event, Arie was like, okay, I see it now. Like, how do we prevent this from happening? What do we do? Like, how do we put things in place to make it known we're both equal co-founders? And I'm interested in Arya's perspective as well, but it's just so interesting, like the unspoken things that happen. All the time. It is very apparent. Like when we meet with certain um, business partners and well, they, they aren't our partners, prospective business partners, the people that we work with are just awesome. And the people, and we actually select who we work with based off of how our dynamics are with them. But it's notable, especially in entrepreneurship, let alone filmmaking. And so I, I guess from your perspective, was it something that you really had to overcome? And I guess it's something that you're overcoming yeah. on a daily basis. Even now that you found your success, do you still find that All people are so... All the time. I mean, where was I the other day? Um, I was just at the polo game watching polo because I have friends that are in it. And um, they're like, oh, you know, asking what I was doing. Some people, I'm like, I'm a filmmaker. And they're like, oh, are you a makeup artist? And there's nothing wrong with makeup artists. Don't get me wrong. But the first thought that comes to mind when people talk to me when I say I'm a filmmaker is thinking that I'm wardrobe or makeup. And this literally happened on Sunday. 
And I was like, do I look like I do makeup? Like my makeup is never done. You know, like literally I'm never dolled up. My hair is a hot mess half the time. I'm like, do I look like I put that much effort into myself? No. So I just looked at him like, no, I'm a film director and a cinematographer. And they're like, oh, what have you done? You know, like they get like that every time. What have you done? Like as if I have you to need to prove yourself or something. It's, it's yeah. still a it's still a thing that's always happening. And um, I just kind of blow it off my shoulder now because before it would get me really irritated. But now I just look at them and I'm like, and I give them this deadpan face. And now they, they just don't know how to react to that half the time. So they're just like staring at me awkwardly. And I'm like, yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a constant thing. When I was doing Bender Stash and we were doing the Whiskey Docu series, they didn't know that I was the director and creator of this project. I was asked on a daily at every location, yet they were talking to me at these locations when I was setting it up. They asked if I was a bartender and I was there just for moral support. Oh, wow. Man. And I'm like, wow, wow. I've been talking to you in email and I've addressed myself as the filmmaker and the creator on this project. And you're coming at me asking if I'm the bartender? And then one person asked me who I had to sleep with to get this job. Wow. wow. I was like, I created this job. That's- <laughs> no, I was going to say, and Tina, I was going to ask you also about, you know, from your experience, it wasn't even just them recognizing that we were co-founders or doing this together. It was just even the way that they would address us. You know, they would ask me technical questions about the business or technical things that we're doing. And then when they talked to Tina, it would be like very um, conversational as if playful, playful yeah. or even flirtatious or yeah. whatever it is. And yeah. I, I don't know, Tina, if you want to talk about it from your experience. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I also feel like I, I've just learned some like unspoken rules and tactics along the way. Ari and I have talked about this. It was an issue meeting up with people about the business opportunities we had, me solo, yeah. because it was like, you know, do you want to get drinks at eight to talk about your company? Well, are you interested in our company? Or are you interested in me? Because if you're interested in me, I don't want to go. So it turned into, if you said drinks at 8 p.m., I said 8 a.m. coffee, you know? Yeah. So it's this unspoken thing of like, how do you really know if they're interested in your film or your it's company? It's so true. <laughs> it's so you know? true. On the daily, you sit there and you're like, but that's why I work with a lot of women investors too. Um, and the mm-hmm. men that do come in are just understanding they actually want to be there you know there's no weirdness or creepiness or expectation of you know something else happening and uh it's it gets exhausting people really send you for loops you know and and that is a good tactic you know they're saying eight you're saying 8 a.m you know like i always say coffee i don't drink coffee but i'll say coffee for them but i'll get a juice and um, I always do like a brunchy kind of like time sometimes as well, you know, where yeah. we'll go and get lunch or something or whatever it is, depending on the person. But yeah, it's we constantly have to kind of navigate it still and strategize, which is annoying. I was going to actually ask you, because um, you mentioned raising capital and raising that from female investors, as I'm sure you've had other investors as well. Yeah. But um, what was that process like for you raising capital on your films and really focusing before you had your success, like that first $10,000 that you raised or that next project that you started raising capital from? How did you demonstrate value as a filmmaker and convince people to trust you with their money before you had necessarily done that before? 
Uh, well, I was already friends with them. Like they've known me for years. They saw me working really hard and they actually approached me with wanting to help me out. And mm -hmm. they saw the success from the short film and they were like, you know, hey, we see this is doing really well. Would, um, would you be interested in doing a feature film on this? I was like, I already got the script, you know? So like, <laughs> um, so for me, it was more about, I already had the relationship. And what I always tell people is start with your group of people that you already know. Um, when you're looking for investing, real estate is really hot. So there's so many realtors and people that are used to taking risks on like properties and stuff that would take a risk on you, you know? So all the people that have worked with me, they're in real estate. Um, you know, we have like this guy that's got many properties all over the world, you know, and uh, he's like, you have a lot of guts and I want to see you succeed and I will take that risk on you. So I, I just didn't, I didn't have to convince anybody. I had a pitch deck. I had all the paperwork. I had investor contracts. I had everything ready to go. So I treated it as if I didn't know them when I went into a meeting when they were really serious about giving money. And I just told them about the project. Again, they were investing in me as a person. They wanted to see me succeed. They wanted to help me out and get me to the next level um, of my career. So I am super thankful for them giving me that opportunity. Um, I, again, pitch deck materials. I had the investor contract so they could see what they were getting into. Um, they knew that I had a following. They knew that the social media push that I had. And also, um, when the, uh, when River actually got picked up by Dust, it wasn't on Dust yet, but they knew that when it was going on Dust, it would get, it would do well on there and it would help push the feature as well. So there was a lot of things. And the short got over 3.4 million views on Dust, which is Amazing. like one of, the, it's the biggest sci-fi indie short film platform out there. So we were super lucky to get reached out to. Thank you, Holly Shorts. Um, <laughs> Daniel is a good friend of mine. He's the one that put me in contact. Like he's like I he's like Dust loved you. I really want to connect you guys. And I was like awesome. So it was all because of these connections and these friendships that I made that the community just was like hey here 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 you know giving it to me that really gave my investors some kind of like comfort. But for them it was more about them wanting to see me succeed, um, and they liked the concept. So that's all it was. I wasn't trying to scam anyone or pull a wool over anyone's eyes. You know, I was like very transparent. You know, they know it's a risk in this industry. Everything's a risk. You never know how something is going to do or whatnot, you know, so it's they're going to invest in you. That's awesome. I actually just watched River the other day. It was so beautifully shot, oh, first thank of you. all. But I, I want to get a bit more technical for a second. What is your current go-to camera setup? So uh, my go-to obviously is the RED. They didn't let me use anything less than the Monstro last time I was using the RED because they were like, no, Emily. And so they sent me the Monstro to use. But I'm happy with like the helium. I think the helium is super fun to use as well. Red is always kind of like my go-to as far as lens. It really depends on what the project is, but I really do love the K35s that I used for River. Um, I love vintage glass and Canon 
was it's great. So I'm always happy. I love cook though. So I think my happy place, if I had to go and I could only choose one camera and one lens, it would be uh, any of the cooks would be fine with me. Um, I like anamorphics, but they're so heavy. So I don't know if I want to do that again handheld. So I most likely would be grabbing either the S4s or the Pontros and wooden camera for my rig setup because they've, they've really built out my cameras really well with the, the rails and everything um, to help me stabilize. So that would be my go-to. Wait, can we clear up this controversy about how you hold the camera? I know. <laughs> because I know that this has been like a problem for you where like oh, your nice. your shots turn out great, what you're sharing is great, but whenever you post behind the scenes content of you holding the camera and how you something. film it, it just blows up in the comments. Like what's going on? I don't know, people get so offended that I, do, do people not realize before there was an easy rig that handheld was like handheld? You know, like there was like an actual <laughs> like why it's called style to it. And uh, you there's a whole breathing technique to it, too. You know, um, how you move, how, you know, when I wanted it more stabilized, I did things to make it more stable. If I wanted it a little bit more shaky, I made it a little bit more shaky with my body movements. So everything that I did was thought out. You know, it wasn't just, oh, I'm going to run and gun and not put any thought process into everything that I'm doing. It is a skill. I feel it's a skill because not everyone can do it. You know, there's nothing wrong with an easy rig either. If you want to use that, go for it, you know, to each their own. There's no hate for whatever it is, but you still don't get the true handheld feel when you're using an easy rig. It's still mm -hmm. super stable looking and you don't, you can't even tell it's really handheld. So to me, the reason why I, you know, for River particularly, she's unstable. You know, she's mentally going through so many different things. So this style of filmmaking was because of what she was already going through and what she was feeling and what I wanted the audience to feel, like to feel. Obviously, my other stuff like Cherry Lane that I did, the whole thing was shot on a dolly and tripod and, you know, like, well, sticks. And it was nothing was handheld only when I was in the car and I was sitting in the back of the car so that I could get the shot. I couldn't put sticks there. I had to like balance it on a freaking apple box. And then when I was in the back of a convertible, I was sitting on top so I couldn't get some shots. So I was sitting there. So like those were really the only couple shots that were handheld in Cherry Lane, but the whole thing was shot very stable, you know? So I don't know why people make such a stink about it. I honestly, I don't it's know. It's like a stylistic choice. It's a style on, choice. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. It's, it is what it is. I think people weren't used to seeing that documented so much that people were just like, and then they were like, I don't know why. I'm like, I'm sorry if you don't go to the gym and you, you can't lift the camera like that. And, you know, <laughs> but it's like, don't project that on me. Like, I'm sorry. I got like baby mama hips so I can hold my camera. You know, like I'm here. I held my child. I still hold him and he's nine. So like... <laughs> Wow. I'm like, come on, you know, so. Well, your content speaks for itself. That's why I was always fascinated by people who are saying things because it's like, hey, just watch the earlier video of what the shot was. And if there's actually a problem with it, give a technical reason. But the results of what there's you do never, work. There's never yeah, a technical always, reason. It's yeah. just an argument. It's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like, does anyone ask? Am I asking you? You know, yeah. are you giving me a better solution? You're not.
So yeah. well, speaking of the camera and using red, I know that one of your brand partnerships or relationships is with red camera. And I'm kind of curious to how that manifested. What was the extent of that relationship? And are you guys still collaborating in, in ways? So last year, around this time, I got an email from Brian, who works with Jared. And um, I thought it was spam at first. I didn't really think it was red. You know, and he's like, oh, we want to have a Zoom with you and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, so I get on a Zoom and it's the whole marketing team. And I was like, oh, this is real, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they asked me to do a reducation and talk to everyone how I shot River during the pandemic and talk about what setups I used, you know, within the red and, and I did a class for them. And then they invited me to the ASC awards and then built more of a relationship. And then every time I go out, you know, it's just been building. I mean, Brian literally just sent me a text. Hey, Emily, when are you coming out? We miss you. Come here and see us. And I'm like, yes, you know, I want to be there. And they're like, we want you to see the new Raptor and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, you know, I want to see that. So, um, you know, they're, they're super cool. And then they, you know, Jared really wanted to meet me and I met Jared and we had, we're very similar in the way we do things, the way we think. And I think what I love so much about Red is that we are the filmmakers that aren't afraid to get dirty and we run and gun and we'll do whatever it takes to get the shot in a safe manner, of course. But we're not afraid to take risks. We're a different kind of breed of filmmakers. And I feel like that's where I'm at. I'm not a traditional DP or a director. I'm I'm very different. I don't go by the books and Red doesn't go by the books. And so I really related to them when I I met them, I was like, these are my people, you know, like I loved just what they stand for, who they are, you know, as a group of friends, they're all friends there. Uh, they treat each other so well. And yeah, and we do have other things coming up, you know, that we want to do together. And Jared's given me many opportunities and, you know, uh, connected me with some really awesome producers and things for future projects. So I'm very grateful for all the things that they do for me. Yeah, that totally ties back into the importance of branding and your online presence and showcasing the work that you do. And I'm sure it, it lends credibility to you when you build relationships with people like Red. And I was going to ask that in terms of um, the camera, are there technical reasons why you like that camera over an Ari Alexa or something else? Is there something yeah. the the results of how the content uh, comes out? Well, you know, there are two different cameras. There's nothing wrong with the Ari Alexa. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I shoot with that as well. Again, red is more versatile, in my opinion. Like, if you need to punch in that shot and you're shooting an 8K or 12K, you can punch in a little bit. You know, like you have some flexibility to adjust things. And you can also change your settings when you're in post. You know, mm -hmm. you can make those adjustments. It's very for forgiving, you know. So if I needed to drop my ISO or something or whatever the whatever it is that I wanted to do or or change the temperature or something, I can do that in post. And it's kind of nice to be able mm -hmm. to have that, that function, you know, the red raw R3D, you know? So it's like, to me, I always gravitated towards that. That was the first cinema camera I picked up was the Scarlet. And it was like number 48 or 50 or something like that, that my friend Bobby had. And so it was like literally under the hundreds, you know, he had the first Scarlet, one of the first ones. So I learned on that, and that was seven years ago, eight years ago. I don't know. It's been a really long time. I think it's been longer than that. But yeah, so ever since then, it was just, I was a red girl. 
I picked it up and I learned on that. I mean, it's speaking of prepping and on set, when you're looking to crew up a shoot, you're producing or DPing or directing, what is the number one quality you look for in all the people that you hire on that production? No egos, collaboration, honesty. I feel like those are, that's what I'm looking for. People that are hungry, people that want to be there. That's what I look for. You know, I look for compatibility because I know uh, the majority of people that I'm bringing in already. So I always make sure I'm really good with personalities, you know, as a director, right? You know, like you kind of pick things out. And so when I'm crewing up, I just don't throw it out there and just whoever comes, comes. No, I want to protect my team. I want to make sure that we're all in a really healthy environment and that there's respect there. And whenever there's new people that enter our dynamic, it takes them a moment to warm up. But once they warm up, it's like we've all been best friends forever, you know? So it's like I always put a lot of thought into it. I get a lot of recommendations from people versus going out and just trying to search for something. Um, I meet a lot of people through social media as well. Like Lucy is freaking amazing. She reached out to me. Hey, I see you're doing River. I would love to intern for you. And so I had a conversation with her. She's super awesome. And so now she we, she produces with me. She started as an intern and now she does stuff with me, you know, as a producer. And she's amazing you know and since then she's been working with Netflix and like all over and so I saw her when she was just trying to get into the industry and to me it's about finding those people you know and that's what I look for so as a creator you're you're kind of covering a few different bases as most creators are and I'm kind of curious to if you had a pie chart of your time how it's broken up because there's personal projects that you do there's uh, branding partnerships that you do and then there's work for hire that you also do amongst being on a podcast like this so if you were to break down your time and where you're spending most of it how would that look uh, it depends on what's going on every day. You know, like today was content day. So usually I wake up, I take my kid to school, I go to the barn. Well, I'll go to the gym first and then I go to the barn. I ride my horse and then I get home by like 11 because LA is not, you know, up and going yet. And so I get home by 11, 11.30, I get on the computer, I do my emails, I start setting up the day. I already know what I'm going to do that day, but I kind of start setting up things, what's going to happen. Uh, I make new connections. I'll start reaching out to people, saying hi, checking in with people. And then um, my personal projects are always circulating. It's kind of like, obviously, the jobs that are paying the bills are more prevalent, you know, and they're kind of like there first. So you kind of figure, you know, you finish that stuff off first and then it kind of like trickles, but everything kind of just goes together. It's not like I kind of organize things too much. I just kind of whatever's kind of rolling that moment, you know, so today was social media. Exactly. That's how it was. I knew I had to do stuff today um, for a small HD and Lumix. So I went to the studio this morning instead of going to the barn. And I just kind of like hashed out those details. And I've had three meetings before you. So I did those meetings on Zoom. And then here we are. So it's not really that I kind of like, it's just what the day calls for, you know? Mm. And in terms of the branding partnerships and things like that, how would you recommend filmmakers get involved with branding partnerships? Is there like a secret sauce to 
doing something with a brand and either one getting paid for work or sending you equipment or just collaborating in general? Yeah. Well, if you're already using the gear and stuff, make content, see how they're shooting their content already, make similar content with your own twists to it and tag them. They'll notice you. You know, I got, that's how I got, you know, how Lumix noticed me, how, you know, Red noticed me, how small HD and wooden camera and Teradek, how they all noticed me was because of, of that. And I wasn't trying, I was just tagging people. I wasn't actually actively looking to be, you know, partnering with people. It just happened. But out of experience, just start creating. And then while you're creating, tag them. Make good content. Make sure it's like post-worthy. You know, you don't want to shoot something and it's all blurry and (laughs) chances are they won't hire you. You know, so like (laughs) make sure it's good content that you're posting out there and tag them. Tag them enough times. Just keep tagging. Keep tagging. Just keep tagging. And don't, one thing I noticed too is don't slide in their DMs and be like, hey, I really want to work with you. Can you get me this camera? Can you know, like sponsor me here or sponsor me there? Because they're not going to do it. I get a lot of those DMs too. Hey, I need a camera. Set me up. No, I'm not going to just set you up, you know, like, so you think a brand is going to do this for you? So it's like, you know, they're very much, what are you going to do for them? first. Mm -hmm. What is a good partnership? It's a partnership. So make sure that your storytelling is uniquely to you and uh, just tag. Just tag. I like that. Okay. So I want to go into my favorite segment of the podcast, which we call rapid fire, which tends to not be rapid fire, but they're fun questions. (laughs) So We'll get started with the first one, which is, what is the most outrageous request you've ever received from a client or talent? Uh, snails. <laughs> snails? Someone asked me to film snails. To film like snails. Like just snails. <laughs> just like snails. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I didn't continue the conversation. I just said snails, question mark, and that was it. I didn't respond okay. anymore. It was that weird. is a very interesting one. It was strange. Um, next question. What is the weirdest object you've ever used to assist in getting the shot? Like a makeshift type of situation. I have <laughs> duct taped quasars to trees, you know, um, in order to kind of brighten up the forest. We like threw a rope around it, threw it up into the tree. And then like, so we had some of the the quasars hanging in the trees by a rope or they were duct taped to the tree. That's, oh, we had a jib that we really rigged that's not a jib on the back of a truck, getting a horse chase scene, uh, nearly dying because the PA that was supposed to tell us if there was cars coming down this dirt road that was like no one there, they literally uh, didn't tell us. And next thing I know, I'm like, ah, like I pull the thing in and this buggy goes flying by and I'm like, oh my God, you know? So... That was like in the beginning of my career, you know, like when we were just a bunch of kids, like going out there and having fun. I do not suggest that. That's not (laughs) something I'm proud of, but we got the shot and we all like survived. Um, Yeah, we made a makeshift jib and it was scary. (laughs) That's impressive and also scary. (laughs) It's very scary. All right, last one. What is the motto that you live by every day? 
work smarter, not harder. You know, mm. I always kind of I've learned to task myself so that I don't over stress myself and make myself super tired. That's how I kind of like operate things now. Also, yeah, like, so basically that and then no egos, you know, that's such a good one. And also very rare to be able to create an environment with no egos, especially in this industry. Yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, and I've had a, a client tell me to leave my ego. And I'm like, there's no ego, you're just not listening to me telling you we don't want to work for you for less than what our rates are. Mm. You know, <laughs> so like, there's yeah. a difference mm. between having an ego and setting boundaries and saying, hey, I'm not okay with being paid $100 a day to do all this work that you want us to do. That's not the kind of jobs we do. And they're like, oh, leave your ego at home. Stay humble. Stay humble. Like, <laughs> you want us to work 12 hours shooting this content for you for $100 a day. You know, wow. like, my time is, my, my gas is not even going to cover that. You know, so like that's self worth. That's self worth. That's not an ego, and that's not. Yeah. that's not being humble. It's just calling like common sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we kind of we have a final question for you as we're starting to wrap up, and really, it's about what are the current projects that you're working on now, and is there anything that you need to complete them? Are you looking for people? Are you looking for resources? What's up? And uh, let's see if our audience could help out if there is anything. Yeah. So I am currently getting my next feature up and running. It's called Significance. It's based on a worldwide best-selling book series. Um, I've actually had this option for 10 years. It's gone through so many things. Um, studios wanted it, but they didn't want me to direct because they wanted to bring a more established director at the time. So I said, no, thank you. And now... I'm quote unquote allowed to direct my project. So um, I just have a really great team that believes in in the project and me. And so the, the author and I really held out because we wanted to keep the story, um, the essence of the story and not make it something that it wasn't. So um, yeah, that's what we're working on now. I have a wonderful producer, you know, and an investment team that's surrounding this project. Uh, we are in development right now. We go into pre-production next month. Um, it's going to be about a three to four month pre-production because it's there's a lot of action. There's a lot of visual effects that are going into this film. Um, it's kind of like a cross between X-Men meets The Notebook. So it's about finding your soulmate and getting superhero powers. Uh, it's got a Twilight Whoa. fan base. So it's kind of that whole genre world, but no vampires, you know. Um, so because of all of that, it's going to take months of preparation versus like a month of prep. Um, we want to start filming it in September. And uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at, you know. Um, as far as crew goes, we're shooting in Alabama. Because of the pandemic, we're trying to keep things still. And for tax incentives, we're keeping things in Alabama predominantly. So if you are in Alabama and you're looking to do something or whatever, you know, let me know as well. You know, I wish we could kind of outsource more people. But again, with a pandemic, we're kind of keeping things 
within the driving distance, you know, because we still have protocols that we have to follow. Hey, well, Emily, it's been such a pleasure getting to speak with you. And thank you to the incredible audience for tuning in. And to contact Emily, you can always DM her on Instagram at SheWillFilms, professional DMs only. But Emily, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You guys are awesome. It's been it's been great getting to know you guys over the last few years. Yeah. Likewise. likewise. Well, well, hopefully we have a, a long relationship ahead and we're excited to keep connecting on opportunities and you're just the best. So thank you. You guys are the best. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in to the Film Up podcast. I'm your host, Christina. And I'm Arye and we'll see you next time.